Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a new partner, Arostia, a new coffee roaster based in Queens. This company was created by and is run by a huge fish fan, Andy Hollander, who hasn't caught a hold your head up since 12, 15, 95, but is definitely not bitter about it. I've had this coffee and it's really great. Andy started roasting coffee during the pandemic, taught himself, and then that turned into this label, Arostia, which launched late last year. I had a bag of the Ethiopian coffee and it was gone really quickly because I liked it so much and I drank a lot of it and I need more. The beans were grown at an altitude of 2,100 meters above sea level, which contributes to a dense bean that continues to develop its flavors after the roasting process is done. The tasting notes include apple, raisin, and caramel, and there are more coffees coming very soon. So support this fan-owned business and try the coffee today. And for Osiris listeners, there's a 10% discount code on the site. Use the code OSIRIS at checkout for 10% off your order, and stay tuned for the launch of a coffee subscription. You can order and sign up for the mailing list at arostia.com. That's A-R-O-A-S-T-I-A.com. And you can find Arostia on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks, Arostia. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Hello, everybody. This is the Helping Friendly Podcast. Hello, Matt. Howdy. We are here to tell you about this episode. Uh, Matt, can you give us a little background on what people are going to hear? Because I actually wasn't present for the recording of the actual episode. 
Yeah. Um, well, last week, uh, I guess as we're recording this and as you're probably listening to it or maybe two weeks ago, there was a tweet uh, by a guy named Sadler Vaden, um, who I follow on Twitter. A lot of you probably do as well. Um, Sadler is the guitarist in the 400 unit, which is Jason Isbell's band. And uh, he also has his own kind of solo uh, career. He just released an album a few months ago called Anybody Out There. And um, Sadler tweeted this thing about uh, 94 fish equals 72 stones. And it, a bunch of people replied to him and got a conversation going. And I think he got retweeted maybe by by Yemblog and some fish folks noticed it. Um, we reached out to Sadler's people to say, hey, is he really a fish fan? And does he want to come on our uh, silly fish podcast to talk about <laughs> fish and his own music? And uh, we got a, a very enthusiastic reply. Um, so thanks to his uh, PR guy, Jake, um, who helped connect us with Sadler. And um, Jonathan and I had a really, really awesome conversation. He's just a really down-to-earth guy, loves music, uh, loves fish. Um, so we talked to him a lot about his kind of career, his new album, which is fantastic. And you should all go check it out. And we talked about fish. Um, so it was a good conversation. I think you guys are going to like it, especially, uh, if you're like me and you kind of dig that whole East Nashville world, uh, that's going on in addition to the, the whole fish and jam band thing too. That's cool. Yeah. And it's, it's a wonder that we don't have more prominent guests given that we pitch ourselves as a silly fish podcast, but you know, <laughs> We're, we're doing all right. We actually, it's funny, we haven't had a guest in a while. No, which is funny considering that everybody's just kind of sitting around their house. So yeah. if you're a famous person and you like fish, like hit us up, you know, we'll talk about fish. Um, your, your, <laughs> your movie that you were working on isn't filming right now. And uh, the tour that you had scheduled is canceled. And so you should spend your time talking to us and um, help the, the, fa- the fish fan community learn a lot more. Uh, about you. It's it, the funny thing about talking to, to somebody like Sadler. And I think if we talk to a lot of other famous musicians or, um, you know, any type of celebrity is like, you'll hear in the interview, he talks about the fact that like, he's only seen fish once. And it was a long time ago. Um, wow. because he's like, yeah, he's like, I love them. I listen to them all the time, but I'm always on tour. I always have other things going on. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. You'd probably encounter a lot of people like that. I remember kind of the same thing happened when we interviewed Katie Turr, like she was like a huge fan, but at that point she'd only seen them like once or twice because she's got yeah. this journalism career traveling around the globe and doing all sorts of other things. That's a good point. Yeah. And, and people can be huge fans and not have seen hundreds of shows. Who knew? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. All right. We're going to get into the interview in a second. Um, in terms of fish news, um, there's not a lot right now, but um, there, there is, I guess, the day after this comes out, you'll have just seen the Dinner and a Movie from 2012. Maybe there'll be a 1.0 next time. Seems like maybe that could be a pattern. But Matt, what else is going on in the fish world? Uh, I think, you know, we saw Trey on the Tonight Show uh, last week, uh, which was was super, super cool. Um, I know there was a lot of questions about how that was going to go down uh, beforehand. And I I just expected it was going to be like a video, like an Instagram style video that he would send over to Fallon and do that. So it was really surprising that he was the first musical guest back on the Tonight Show or I believe any late night show in person, um, which was super cool. He played kind of socially distanced from the roots. They all had like a ton of space between them and stuff. Um, uh, he played, um, I've never needed you like this before, uh, which was super cool. And, um, uh, I love seeing him kind of lock in and play with quest love. That was like, that was so yeah. cool. So did you, did you catch that? Oh yeah. The, the, I felt like it was like a, 
electric atmosphere in there, you know, and Jimmy Fallon sort of said as much afterwards. He said like, I miss live music so much, you know, and that was like yeah. one song, but yeah. really cool. I feel like that song transformed during that performance. You know what I mean? Like yeah. from the album version to that. For sure. And I think that was one of the ones that you guys called out, uh, you and Brad, when you talked about like, it's probably going to be a fish live tune. And I, yeah. agree, I agree with that. I think it's perfect for fish to play, um, and probably turn into a, a pretty big song. So, um, yeah, that was, it was, it was great to see that. And I think, uh, you could tell the trade just like really needed to play with people. Like he was like, he was getting into it so much. Yeah. Yeah. It was really awesome to see more, more Trey and Questlove would be, would be pretty sweet to see. Um, and and Mike Gordon and Leo Kaki are going to have some new music out, apparently. Yeah, I think by the time everybody hears this, we'll know a little bit more about it because they're going to play some stuff on uh, Fish Radio this evening. Um, but Mike, a little while ago, tweeted uh, a video of Leo recording something, some new music. So um, that would be awesome. That's one of my kind of favorite, most underrated Fish side projects. Um, I've been wanting to, to hear some more stuff from those guys for, more, for a while. So uh, this should be pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, Matt, on the Osiris front, um, I, uh, I've been loving Comes a Time, and I know you've been helping with that. I feel like Mike, our friend, and our new friend, O'Teal, are really just like getting into a good rhythm with these guests, and I, I really like the topics they're covering. Um, I know you've done a lot of work on it. What, what do you, what's your impression of that show so far? Oh, it's so cool. I mean, th- those guys have such a great rapport uh, together, um, so it's it's awesome to see them chatting about things. And yes, yeah, it's, it's really cool to see from those guys. Um, the, obviously, they have great music guests. Um, O'Teal's got, obviously got access to the guys in The Grateful Dead and knows so many other great musicians, but also they're doing a lot of um, discussion about social justice issues. Um, so if you followed O'Teal on social media recently, he's been very, very outspoken, very proactive about kind of sharing a lot of content um, about Black Lives Matter and, and associated topics to, to his following. So, for example, last week, their guest was Jim Simone, who's a, a civil rights lawyer. Um, so they got really deep into talking about, um, you know, matters of, of police defunding and, and things like that that are, that are very important. Um, so I think you're going to see a wide range of topics from those guys. It's, it's it's pretty exciting. Yeah, totally. And they've been doing such a good job of just, yeah, getting really good information out of the guests while keeping it really fun and informative, like serious and informative, but also fun. Um, looking forward to seeing and, and listening to future episodes. That's on video and audio, and we'll link to it in the show notes in case you have not heard of it. But hopefully you have, and you might have, because it reached number one on the Apple podcast music chart last week, which is pretty sweet. So, um, one other thing I should mention is I, th- I think since, well, definitely since Matt and I have last been on the podcast together, we wrapped up festival circuit, in new Orleans, the first season of festival circuit and, um, it's really turned out well. And we'll link to that again in case anyone missed it. I, th- I think it turned out well. I'm excited to explore another, uh, another festival. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. That was a fun, really fun project. Um, great to, uh, to kind of explore the, the history as well as, you know, talk to some modern, uh, musicians from current day musicians from new Orleans. Um, the only problem for me was that, um, you know, you got to take a trip down there earlier this year to interview a bunch of people. It's been several years since I've been in new Orleans and putting all of that together, you know, hearing these people's voices and listening to all the music and everything. Uh, it really made me miss new Orleans and I wanted to, to get down there um, sometime soon. Um, I kept 
craving a cup of Cafe du Monde coffee. Um, but we had actually some somebody come through for us and help uh, with that New Orleans style uh, chicory infused coffee, right? We did. Excellent segue. We do. We have a new uh, sponsor, Grady's Cold Brew. Uh, Grady, who is a real person, uh, he, he has been making this cold brew, which is New Orleans style coffee. The chicory is interesting because I didn't I didn't notice that I remembered that until I started drinking this uh, Grady's cold brew. But we want to tell you about the cold brew kit that they have, which Matt and I both got. And it brews and pours 36 cups of cold brew. This is really, really timely uh, for us and hopefully for you too, but really easy to brew. And once you, once you brew it in the pouch they send you, you just put it in the refrigerator overnight and you can drink it for a long time. It's, it's really delicious stuff. Um, Matt, have you been drinking it? We have, uh, we've been drinking it the last couple of days. Um, and, uh, my wife and I kind of almost fighting over the end of the bag each day. Cause it's like, <laughs> it's really tasty, but it's, it's also rocket fuel. It is extremely powerful coffee. So if you like that kind of thing, which, um, I definitely, definitely do. Uh, it's, it's worth checking out. And like you said, it's easy to make. I've, I've made cold brew a variety of different ways. I usually make it a lot in the summer and this is really cool. Like you drop these bags, pods into this bag with some water and the next morning you have cold brew concentrate and you can kind of mix it to the strength that you like. Um, they also do sell bottled, uh, cold brew as well. I know, um, I shared something on Twitter about this and a bunch of people got back and said they, they buy the bottled stuff on the reg. So, um, um, a couple different ways to enjoy their stuff, but it's uh, it's super tasty. Yeah, and if you want to try it out, you can get uh, Grady's Cold Brew Kit, and you can get twenty percent off your first order by using the promo code HFP twenty. We'll put the link in the show notes. But um, yeah, at this point, when it's still going to be hot for a while, it might be hot forever because of you know, global warming. So maybe you should get some, get your cold brew. Um, and the chicory really does add like a really interesting, subtle sweetness to it that, that I really like. And I I drink too much of it and now I'm caffeinated for, for days. So thanks, Grady's. So we want to tell you about another one of our sponsors, Sinlon, which is the mar- largest manufacturer and installer of synthetic grass in the U.S. It's an environmentally friendly grass replacement for your yard or maybe for your patio or maybe for your basement. Um, Matt, I think it would be, I think it would look good down there. In your you know, yeah, and you know what? The um, number of times that I've had to re-carpet my basement because of uh, water events, like maybe I should just <laughs> go to grass instead. Um, yeah, they sent us some samples that um, are used now by my daughter as like a lawn for her stuffed animals to play on. Um, so she's playing on it all the time. She she agrees. Uh, nine out of ten five-year-olds will tell you it's very soft and lush. It does feel like real, real grass. And for our listeners, Sinlon's having a contest to win an eight foot by 14 foot Dave Pell's Greenmaker putting green system. It's a professional quality putting green. You can have a putting tournament in your basement, in your backyard, socially distanced with your friends. And if you enter the contest, which runs now through August 31st, the winner will have their putting green in time for Labor Day. This is a promise from Sinlon. So go to sinlon.com slash hfpod to learn more about them and to enter the contest. And then finally, I want to make one more plug for section 119. Uh, Matt and Jonathan, Brad and I, all four of us have talked in the past about how awesome their masks are. The donut masks are still getting heavy, heavy usage in our house, but they have a lot of other stuff too. Um, If you're looking for summer clothing, um, there's, there's a lot of Grateful Dead merchandise like board shorts with, uh, you know, the Grateful Dead uh, skeleton roses. There's Um, donut board shorts. There's a lot of stuff that uh, I probably should have been wearing to the beach uh, long ago. 
I have been trying to get a pair of their their donut board shorts. Uh, apparently, that was supposed to be a Father's Day gift for me that uh, was unable to happen because so many people have been buying them. So I've been waiting for them to get back in stock. And as soon as they are, I'm going to uh, get a pair of those. But um, the mask, I mean, it's all I wear. Uh, yeah, I mean, literally, sometimes I just have a mask on. That's it. Um, they don't <laughs> like that at the grocery store. They say, well, you're supposed to wear a mask. You must wear a mask. You also need pants. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's not going to to be a good situation. So, um, yeah. And, and I've, like I, I always say every single time I think that I go out, somebody, somebody notices the mask. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's awkward when that happens. Um, one of the things that they, that's, I think is really cool is the, the bolt, the lightning bolt, uh, kind of pattern shirts, board shorts and other stuff. I think that's a cool kind of subtle Grateful Dead, uh, reference, but, um, there's a lot of good stuff at section 119 and, um, you can get, you can get 15% off your first order if you use the promo code HFPOD. So we'll put all that stuff in the show notes. All right, you've heard about all of our sponsors. You've heard about our opinions on those things. And maybe we should get into this interview. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, this is a super, super fun interview. Uh, we probably could have talked to Sadler all night about music. Um, he's just a, a good dude. Um, I didn't even get into the topic of guitar gear, which probably would have taken us hours to um, to talk about because uh, it was a little bit all topic. But if you're if you're a, a guitar gear nerd uh like myself sadler's done a couple of those rig rundown videos that are on youtube um that are totally awesome he's like a total gearhead and it's uh it's fun to watch so hope you enjoy this we talk about a lot of uh different things about his career and, and other music as well all right let's get into it and we will see you all back here next time enjoy it Hey, everybody. Matt here. I've got uh, Jonathan with me. Howdy. And we have a special guest with us uh, today coming to us from Nashville, uh, the guitarist, uh, songwriter, uh, Mr. Sadler Vaden. Sadler, how's it going, man? Hey, it's, it's going well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so um, our audience may know Sadler from his work with uh, the 400 Unit, um, which is a band that he's in with uh, Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires and uh, Jimbo Hart and some other amazing cats. Um, but uh, Sadler also has uh, released his a few of his own solo records, including a new one that just came out in March entitled Anybody Out There. And we found out last week through the magic of Twitter that Sadler also happens to be a fish fan. Uh, and as he told us in the uh, in the pre-show here, riled up some folks with uh, a tweet that he sent out. So <laughs> it sure did. We wanted to talk about uh, his uh, experience with fish, his experience with that tweet, the the audience that he may have riled up, and <laughs> dig into the question of is '94 fish the same as 1972 Rolling Stones? <laughs> Yeah, so, I think we're going to yeah. have a fight right here on that one, but let's save that. <laughs> let's get into the, uh, <laughs> let's get into some more stuff. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah. So Sadler, let's, um, talk a little bit about your background. Um, I know you grew up in kind of the Myrtle beach, Charleston area. You began playing music at a young age, but maybe you can just kind of walk us through, um, you know, how it, it, it came to be that you were a musician and what some of your early influences might've been. Yeah, well, first off, you guys have done your homework. I mean, you pronounced Jason's last name correctly, which is <laughs> great. That never happens. Um, yeah, and and I did. I was I was I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, you know, my parents were middle class, like lower middle class folks, and and they were kind of. I mean, 
I would say they were hippies just in the sense of like when they grew up and the time they grew up in. Um, you know, and uh, they were, so I had music in my house with all that to say. I had, I grew up hearing my dad's records. And uh, so that, I, I always had an interest in music. And then um, I was around 10 years old and the uh, concert Farm Aid was happening in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, we were living in North Myrtle Beach um, at that point. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> that was a big deal because con- big concerts like that, they especially didn't come to the coast, you know, in North Myrtle Beach. There was nowhere for them to play. There was a convention center, but you weren't going to get Farm Aid there. Right. So um, at the time, Hootie and the Blowfish was like the biggest band in the universe. And, um, you know, they were asked to do Farm Aid. And they said, the only way we'll do it is if you have it in Columbia, South Carolina at williams Bryce Stadium where the Gamecocks play. So that's why it came to Columbia. And my dad immediately bought tickets and we went and uh, we splurged for some uh, floor seats. You know, not up front, but on the floor nonetheless, you know, and probably like row 59 of 60 (laughs) and uh and um you know it was an all-day event uh out in the sun it was just a just really an amazing thing to experience as a child and uh i just remember when the sun started going down it was like you know the beach boys came on and and then it was hootie and then it was john mellencamp and then it was neil young and the crazy horse and then Willie Nelson and David Crosby was there and he was singing with people. And it was just like, I didn't really even understand what I was seeing, but I knew it was awesome and it was very loud. And so <laughs> when I came back from that concert, my dad pulled his guitar out of the closet that he had that I'm like, I'm like where did the guitar come from? <laughs> I didn't even know you had those. <clears throat> so uh, he pulled that guitar out and I still have it to this day. And, uh, yeah, I just I, that's when I really got interested and, and started playing the guitar and learning it. That's a uh, hell of a first concert. Right yeah, there, sure. yeah, and uh, actually Hootie on their own was like my real first concert, um, and that was uh, that was in the Charleston area, and they actually filmed a video for their song "Time." at that show, which was kind of a cool thing as a kid to see it on MTV, and you're like, "Oh, I was there," you know? Yeah. Nice. <clears throat> so yeah. Hell of a show. Yeah. Who else beside uh, Hootie were you a big fan of growing up? Well, I was just into whatever my dad liked, you know what I mean? Whatever my parents liked. But, you know, I'll say like the music that kids were into at school was not very good, you know, <laughs> but but by, you know, guilty just by association, like I had Limp Biscuits first record and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> You know, Sublime, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm like 12 years old, you know. Um, but I always loved Jimi Hendrix and The Who, and my mom's a big Van Morrison fan. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of like J.J. Kell and Clapton and, and all that stuff, and uh, Linda Ronstadt. And then my dad was a big Zappa fan. Oh, wow. So that's really a good, you know, attachment to my being, you know, being a Fish fan is because when I was like 14 or 15 and really started to understand Zappa and the humor behind it. And I was kind of old enough to get, you know, some of the satire and all that stuff. Like, and and also just his guitar playing, you know, I just don't think people talk enough about his composing and his guitar playing. It's just, you know, it's second to none. It's like no one, he's unmatched on the guitar, you know? So um, that's, yeah, I just, 
I was into all that stuff. That's a good wide spectrum. I think <laughs> a good training ground to. Uh, yeah. To it's some good rock and roll boot brain. camp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so did you start playing then uh, with your dad's guitar, and uh, did you get lessons in? Yeah. So I, I actually, I, I uh, before I picked up the guitar, I'd had. Um, there was a, my dad worked at this, uh, he managed this bar called Cappy's and it was just like a, just a seafood place on the marsh there, you know, and, uh, there was a guy that played piano there every whatever Tuesday and Thursday night. So I, I was interested in learning some piano and I got some lessons from this guy and I, I hated it. Like I just, <laughs> not the piano, it was not the piano's fault, but the lesson part, I, I just, I didn't like it. I didn't take to it. And so when I picked up the guitar, we didn't do lessons, so I, I'm completely self-taught on the guitar. But it oh, wow. it did come naturally to me. I will say that it didn't take me long to get past it, hurting my fingers and all that. And I just became obsessed with it. I mean, I would think about it all day at school. You know, couldn't wait to get home and just pick up that acoustic and try to get the thing that I wasn't able to get the day before. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm guessing it sounds like it, it came to you pretty quickly that you knew that this is what you wanted to do with your life. Yeah, I think um, it, it, by the time I was 15, I think I, I had realized um, that, yeah, I didn't want to do anything else. I just gotcha. I wanted to try this. Yeah. Gotcha. And I, it wasn't like, I'm going to try this and see if it works. It was like, I was obsessed with yeah. music and yeah. still am. Um, and so... You know, I think it really does take that, and it does take support <clears throat> from people close to you too. And I did have that. You know, I did right. have support from my parents, although they didn't necessarily have the means <clears throat> to, you know, get me, uh, you know, in front of people necessarily. Like, you know, it's like it just was. We want to help help him, but we don't. We don't really know what to do. You know, it was kind of like, right. we got to wait till he's 18 <laughs> yeah, <laughs> until yeah, he right. can start like going the, and it, even then you can't really get in the bars, but you can kind of start like playing before places turn into a bar or something like this was in Charleston, South Carolina days. So they would let you play before, you know, if it was a restaurant, uh, before okay. it would turn into a bar. Yeah. Okay. During, during the dinner rush. Yeah. The dinner yeah. rush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know. Some some folks get have trust funds, but supportive emotional support and parents that believe in you is, I think, probably even more important, anyways. So credit that goes a long way. Yeah, Yeah, and and just just you know, knowing like that it is going to be a hard you know climb, hard road, and knowing that you are going to fail. But it's like when you're pat when you're so passionate about something and you don't. It's like when your plan A is the plan B. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. That's what it takes, I think. And some luck. You managed to get yourself some exposure uh, through this band that you were playing with, Leslie, um, where... That's correct. Uh, you, I guess you were seen at, at some point both by Jason as well as Driving, uh, Driving and Crying, who you, you played with as well. Um, was That's that, correct. That all happened around the same time? Yeah, so I started my band Leslie, which we were we were a power trio, and we kind of started out like it was really in the time of like Ryan Adams was really 
really getting popular and <clears throat> I loved Big Star and Sunvolt and we kind of started out like a power trio that that had that sort of power pop mindset and then we slowly that was I was 18 years old so we kind of slowly morphed into these like long hair like southern rock and roll dudes you know just like <laughs> like humping it around in a van man like you know no no label or anything like that just touring as much as we could but um we did uh yeah we we did get to like get in front of driving and crying and we we got to uh uh, open for them a few times and also open for Jason. And so that's kind of where that relationship, although it wasn't, we didn't know each other really, really well, but I think I was sort of looked at as like a, a younger kid in, in the Southeastern touring circuit that was, you know, good on the guitar and, and our band like played rock music. So that was like a little rare, I think, uh, to yeah. see <clears throat> that type of like just power trio thing going on. So I think that's why we we gained a little bit of like notice, okay, from from those bands. So I got to ask you uh, before Matt continues down this road, but uh, Leslie, where did you get that name? Is that a tribute to Leslie West? I think Power Trio, and I hear the name Leslie. I think that, yeah, but it's probably not. Well, it, it was it was actually the Leslie Speaker. Okay, that would be my <laughs> other kind of guess, where we but, yeah that but you was had like no organ we, player. So <clears throat> we didn't have an organ player. No, but I used the Leslie Speaker with my guitar rig. Cool, full on cool. Frampton style. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and and uh, you know people did obviously who's which one to use Leslie. You know, um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I mean gas stations in the South when people are coming up asking what band you're you're in. I mean. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend naming your naming your band something like that. They don't understand. But uh, yeah, we did get the we actually did get the mountain comparison a lot. Not a bad one to get. No, I love mountain. Yeah, gotcha. So now, was this when uh, when you encountered Jason for the first time? Was was he still with the truckers at this point, or uh, he had gone out on his own? So this was right when he went out on his own. Okay, so we're went talking like two thousand seven ish. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I think the year we played with them in Charleston, um, a guy named Will Hogue <clears throat> was on the bill, and uh, and Will and Jason the 400 unit were on a tour, and they came through Charleston on New Year's Eve, and Leslie opened up for them, and I think it was like oh six oh seven. It was like that New Year's Eve. Yeah. So did you go straight from um, Leslie into driving and crying? I did, yeah. When I was 25 years old, I had my, <clears throat> I guess what they call quarter-life crisis. <laughs> and uh, I just had realized, like, I'd had the band for like seven years. Um, we made some EPs and we we put out a record. And man, we just did everything like you're supposed to do or you think you're supposed to do. But none of it was like sticking, you know? The pasta was not sticking against the wall. And so I was like, yeah, what do people pay me to do? Like, how do I make how do I make my money? Because I, I did I, I scraped and buy, but I did make money. And I was like, people pay me to play guitar. And I was like, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, you know, I don't make my money writing songs. I don't make my money fronting a band. Um, I always, you know, I played in like I would sit in with cover bands and and wedding bands, anything music related to make money in Charleston. So that's when I decided to step away from the band and and I was, you know, moving to Nashville. I don't know. I was like, if I'm worth, if I'm as good as people think I am around here, 
let's see. You know, because I think you'll find out real quick if if you're worth your salt when you get up there to Nashville was kind of my mindset. And I, you know, and I had some connections in Nashville. I'd spent time here. So it wasn't like a completely, you know, I wasn't working with just like some blank canvas. You know, there was little time put in and a few connections, but still, you know, scary thing. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, but I, you know, honestly, I, I was just like hoping to just get a gig with somebody, you know. Um, right at that point, though, driving and crying, their guitar player, they like se- separated with their guitar player and uh, the bass player, Tim Nielsen from Driving and Crying, moved to Charleston. And he was like, why don't you, uh, um, my car's in the shop and uh, we're playing in Asheville and I need a ride to the gig. And I was like, all right, I'm not doing anything. So I got up to the gig and I ended up playing like the entire gig with them. And And after that show, yeah, wow. Kevin asked me, what I was doing for the rest of the week. They were going up to Connecticut and New York and all this stuff. And I was like, well, I mean, nothing. I was going to go back to Charleston and hang out with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, thank God. And uh, and he said, well, I'll give you 100 bucks a day, and you know, you can jump in the van, and we'll come back. You know, We're going to come back down here through, and you can get your car. And I said, I'll do it under one condition. We go to Walmart so I can get some underwear and socks. There you go. Because I didn't bring any. I just had right. the clothes on. <laughs> so, that's just funny. base level supplies. I mean, they were kind of a legacy act at that point. They, I guess they had been around since the 80s. Were you a fan of theirs? Yeah, coming so, so um, I saw Driving and Crying. Uh, my parents took us to see The Who in like 1996 or 97. And they were on the uh, what's known now, which was really funny. Like all these years later, The Who put out that documentary called The Amazing Journey. <laughs> that tour that I saw was get John Entwistle out of debt. That was like why they <laughs> booked the tour. <laughs> but it was for the uh, Quadrophenia. They did Quadrophenia. Nice. Yeah, and Driving oh, and Crying right, right. opened up that okay. tour. Oh wow! Uh, for, in North America, so gotcha. I became a fan when you know when I was ten or eleven years old, and uh, and then started noticing them getting played on the radio all the time. And how how long did you uh, so you you did the tour and stuck around with them for a little while yeah so um after we yeah after we did that week of touring we came back and and it was kind of like what are you doing next week (laughs) you know and (laughs) like oh uh Mm. you know it was nice it it felt good it felt i felt uh i don't know yeah i mean i felt like this was this is good man i felt like a real you know just guitarist like i was like getting paid to play guitar in a band that I loved that I grew up listening to. Yeah. That, that really encouraged me to like play and go, you know, I was there because of what I did, you know? Um, Yeah. And it ended up really just kind of injecting some new like energy into the band because we ended up making up, we we ended up making like four EPs uh, during the like two years that I was in the band. It was a really wonderful time. And Kevin Kenny is, you know, I just think, one one of the best. He's really like one of the most underrated singer songwriters out there, in my opinion. Um, but uh, that yeah. was a, yeah. I mean, that, driving and crying was like, like my college years or something. You know, 
It was like prepping me like for the real world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the big time, the big time. Yeah. Cause then at, at a certain point around, I guess it's around 2013, um, Jason Isbell's career is taking off cause he has just created a, a amazing album called Southeastern. And it's my understanding. You, did you join the band like right after he released? I the joined record? the band right before they released the record. So like, as, so like, it was okay. like that moment where usually bands are <clears throat> a little stagnant. They've just made a record. They're not playing a lot of gigs. The publicity, the PR things building up. Everything's about to build up for this thing to come out and there be a tour. So I, uh, I was approached um, by Jason's manager Tracy, and uh, that's when I joined the band. It was like right before everything kind of uh, took off with Southeastern. And what's really funny about that is I played like. 10 or 12 shows and then I jumped off the tour to go play some shows with Driving and Crying because I those Driving and Crying shows were already on the books right. and I was like and I was up front about it saying hey I've got to go and do these shows with them because you know when I joined this band I already had these prior obligations here and everybody was super cool about it it was like very nice to see everybody just be cool you know so and that's that's a sign you're getting in with the right people. Yeah, and I, and also it was a thing where I did I I wanted Jason to see that I wouldn't do that that to him in that situation, you right. know. So it's like, you know, you don't leave your, you know, I'm just like that. You don't leave your your uh, your people high and dry, you know. So you kind of jumped on this. Um you know, band that was getting an unbelievable amount of upward trajectory. I mean, I would say that, you know, over the last, um, the last five, seven years you've been in this band have, have been good to the band. Um, you've been involved in making a, a couple of amazing albums, including reunions, which, which came out this year. Um, but also there's been this attention on this sound coming out of Nashville, um, that, I, I mean, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because I've become a fan of all of these artists, uh, yourself, Jason, Amanda Shires, um, that are kind of part of this this group of people that seem like they're trying to take Nashville back and and inject a, a very genuine sound and take it back from um, some of the a lot of the pop sheen that has kind of been created there. And you know, I would lump you guys in with folks like you know Margot Price and, and Sturgill Simpson. And um, there seems to be kind of a direct line down from people like John Prine and Waylon Jennings and, and some of these cats. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. I mean, like, is this something that you guys are deliberately trying to like make a, a new Nashville sound out of, or is it just kind of a coincidence that all of these artists of similar kind of ethos have, have kind of emerged at the same time? I mean, I, I think it's probably more of a coincidence, you know, as, as um, I think most scenes like that kind of happen, you know, it's just kind of like this, just mm -hmm. time. That it, that something's in the air or in the water and just kind of is, is happening. Um, <clears throat> I know Jason. I feel like just kind of with his music. I think once he got sober and realized his his uh, potential, you know, um, I think that helped a lot because uh, yeah, th yeah. I mean, I just think he was able to just kind of let himself be himself and just try to write really, really good songs, you know. And I think when that southeastern came out. People were like, oh, it's country, or it's, you know, I never considered Jason to be country at all. Like, I never once bought a Jason Isbell 400 unit record, and I bought all three of them before Southeastern. You know, I, I was like, I was, I, 
country wasn't a word that I would use to describe that. You know, um, it was kind of just like rock and roll to me or, or like alt country, which ultimately became Americana. Yeah, right. You know, but you guys remember that term, right? Alt oh, country. Yeah. yeah. Nobody oh, yeah. nobody says it anymore. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, and then, you yeah. know, Sturgill kind of came with his like heavy Waylon Jennings thing. And then he's, you know, obviously morphed into, into his, you know, just own unique sound and approach and uh and then margo i think kind of came on the heels of that um you know some some people credit like southeastern being like the um you know the the whatever the beginning of that movement but i don't know i think jason was just trying to make a really really strong album you know um and try to change things for himself um but uh, yeah, I think it's kind of coincidental. I mean, I, I I definitely don't don't put myself in in uh, you know in in that crew. Um, but I think uh, I think a lot of people are just trying to make like just you know stuff that's from the heart and isn't something that's like on an assembly line or or if it's just for the purpose of money or something. You know, what it's it's not for the purpose of what you think people will like and consume. Yeah, it's um, time and place, just uh, and and maybe a little bit of uh, converging of tastes happening at the same time. But uh, yes, yeah. I'd I'd agree with that. And uh, myself, I'm just trying to make good like rock and roll, you know, because that's a term nobody says anymore. Yeah, you don't that hear no that one, near no enough. No one uses. Yeah, especially not as like a genre of music. Um, and you know, when when my record came out, and some you know some people were saying like it was. Uh, whatever you know americana or country leaning or whatever you know they're gonna then it's like i don't know i just i think it's just a rock and roll album you know um but it's it's funny everybody has to attach you know a genre to it well you know genres are helpful sometimes and they're uh mostly used by people like who make podcasts or write record reviews or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm very guilty of it. I do it all the time. And it's sometimes uh, podcasters. Helpful. You gotta yeah, look out for those podcasters. <laughs> um, it's dangerous but, you know, out there guys. They could be helpful for, oh, you yeah. know, connecting people to things they don't know of, but at the same time, I absolutely I understand why, you know, like Sturgill runs away from any label you try to throw on him. Um, and I, I kind of get that too. Cause you don't, you don't want to, feel constrained by any of those labels either yeah because i think yeah the the minute like all the label the the labeling kind of comes out you know it's like if somebody doesn't check that record out well the next time you put a record out they they in their mind if they saw something about it they've already made their mind up of like what that is and if it's a genre they don't like they're probably not going to listen to it or you, or you become Radiohead, who you know has to escape making the great record <laughs> over and over again by making the next great record That's and the right. next new sound. Right? Ah, how did, man, those guys are amazing. Love that band. Well, let's speaking of rock and roll, let's talk about um, your record. Uh, anybody out there? This came out a couple months ago. Um, I know you've got Jimbo and Derry from the uh, from the four hundred unit yep. in your band. Um, did you did you cut this with the touring band, or did you kind of do it mostly on your own? Um, so it was it was kind of a um, <clears throat> it was it was sort of a, a blend of the two. Um, you know, I I uh, fund these records myself, so. Um, I kind of have to get creative and how much studio time there is and, and, uh, you know, what we're going to, um, 
make you know what we're going to prioritize in the studio when we get in there. So um, I used a guy named Fred Eltringham on the drums, and he played with a band called the Gigolo Ants way back in the '90s, and then he played for uh, Katie Lang, Dixie Chicks, the Wallflowers, and now he plays for Sheryl Crow. Cool. And he's a wonderful oh, wow. drummer, and just and really just got like that good rock and roll style that I that I like for my music. And Jimbo, um, I wanted to use Jimbo for well, one because he's a, he's a good friend, and also he is a monster bass player. But I really wanted him. I really wanted to hear him play like rock, like more like rock and roll bass, and like let him let him go, like really just let him have at it in the studio. And uh, Derry just has <clears throat> really great ideas, and, and he. He has good like synthesizers and things like that. So that was cool because I wanted to do a little something different on this record, not just make it strictly guitar, like have some different layers and stuff. And um, But I did some of it here at the house because some of those songs, the way I like to write is I like to, when I start with a song, I like to kind of demo the song. And, and it'll be a pretty fully realized demo. Like I'll program the drums and because I like to ride around in my car and listen to it. Yeah. I, and that's just my process. I'm not saying that's right or wrong or whatever, but that's how I like to do it. And uh, so some of those started out as demos, and we actually took some of the parts from those demos and brought them into the studio and kind of, you know, played to them or, you know, um, alongside them. Yeah. Use them as a guide to uh, flesh out the tracks. Yeah, it was like something that happened... There's a song on the record, I think it's the second song, it's called Don't Worry. And uh, it's got some electric guitar parts in there that I played just like, it was like the first time, it was the demo, and I just put two tracks on there, you know, one take each, didn't think about it. And I, I, really, I just fell in love with them. I was like, man, these are great, and I'm never going to play this the same. I'm never going to remember how to play this. Like, you know, like little licks and stuff that you weren't, yeah planning and you'll never get that feel again well i mean it is I, I agree with you i think it's a it's very clearly a rock and roll record i can hear a lot of uh and i don't mean this in a, in a negative way in very much a positive way it sounds like you wear your influences on your sleeve uh pretty proudly i mean it's easy to hear tom petty influences there um you know you mentioned the who um joe walsh at one point there was um like a slide solo that i was like yeah did he get joe walsh to <laughs> yeah. like sit in on awesome. <laughs> and play this um so it does it sounds like you were kind of reaching for for certain sounds um you know based on, on some of your influences Yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely am one of those people. You're you're right on the money, and and, um, and uh, I've I've always been okay with that because, like, you know, I mean, that's just who I am. That's part of my makeup, and I, and I I make music that I I like personally, you know, and and um, 
it's just that kind of thing sort of just comes naturally to me and, and those sounds but, but that's what I've really like grown up on and I've spent so much time with that music and I also feel like there's there still needs to be people that you know these guys obviously you know Petty's gone the, the Who is I mean these guys are these people are old and their music will live on but they're you know when they're gone um that feeling of rock and roll and seeing like a rock and roll concert and, and having like good rock and roll records is really important to me and I want to you know kind of keep that tradition going and and continue to grow as an artist myself but no you're 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 right and I then that was um you know mission accomplished What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. He mentioned Petty. I was listening to Curtain Call today, and are you mm-hmm. calling him out in that reframe? Yeah, so so um, the purpose of that line was was you know it was kind of like um, I lost my dad in 2004 and I lost my mom in 2007, and so that song kind of started as a um, little bit of a a kind of letter to my to my dad, and so my vision for that line was I can still hear you singing I won't back down like as if we were riding in the car and and you know or him you know telling me like don't ever back down or, you know, whatever. And um, so that was kind of the imagery for me when I was writing it. And so and, you know, now you've picked up something from it. And I had a um, this uh, younger uh, musician hit me up on Instagram and, and they like covered that song and, you know, they were taking it a different way as well. But uh, that song actually was more of a, um, almost like, tribute to like uh the writing of like oasis where oasis would like literally name beatles songs yeah in their uh you know in their songs like that so the curtain call starts out as like you left me on the dark side of the moon you know and there's all these there's there's a lot of these things like um you know uh i thought we we could work it out you know in my (laughs) life Right. Uh, you know right. what I mean? There's right. a lot right. of those things. Yeah. If you go back and listen to it, you'll probably pick up on even more right. of them. But um, 
but yeah, I was actually real, that was one of the songs on the record that I was really proud of because it it was a little step outside of the box for me, and um, yeah, I just love the chords underneath and the melody and stuff. And I had a real string section come in, which never done that before, so that was really cool. Speaking of Oasis, then you have a song called "Be Here Right Now," very close to, <laughs> That's to right. "Be Here Now." Yeah, I I, I think I was a Rolling Stone article in my my minimal research. Matt did the extensive research. I did minimal research as I, is my want. And, uh, I think really stone piece, they quoted you as saying that you, you didn't pick up on that parallel until you were sequencing the record and you were like, Oh, I did that. Okay. <laughs> it's, and that's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's totally true. Um, because I was, uh, you know, it was, that song is kind of more like a, a Buddhism ideal, you know, of just sort of, just being, just existing, presence. and just, yeah, yeah, presence, exactly, exactly. And then later, I was like, you know, wow, yeah, that's because a lot of people know about my Oasis fandom, so they were all call, calling me out on that. I wanted to ask you a slightly music nerdy question because we were looking down the, the Petty thread and I saw that your record was mastered by Richard Dodd who um, mixed Wildflowers yes. and the, both of the, the Wilburys albums. Was that intentional or did that just kind of, was that happenstance? <laughs> of course it was intentional. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I love that you, you know, no one's ever asked me about that and I'm kind of like, you know, it was mastered by Richard Dot, you know, but that's not what makes a record good. But it's like, I was really yeah. like, um, I don't know. I was happy to have worked with the guy. Um, you know, it was funny because how that happened was I was sort of like just poking around on like getting some different mastering people to give me some quotes and, and all that. And I can't, and, and it was like, I looked on my, because I live like not far from Berry Hill in Nashville where all the studios are. And or a lot of them are, and uh, I was looking around there. I was like, where all the a lot of mastering places are located. I was going, oh, Dodd Mastering. And I was like, I know that name. And I looked at, him, I was like, oh my god, Richard Dodd. Sure enough, yeah, he's just mastering down the street from my house. You oh, know, wow. and so That's I just sweet. emailed him, and uh, you know, yeah, sure, send me the thing. It costs this. And he had it turned around to me in like three days. And I was like, wow, I just had Richard Dodd master my album. That's like, incredible. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and he did a great job. You know, it's not him mixing the album, but um, I don't know. I was like really, really like stoked, you know, to have somebody like yeah. that kind of be involved in yeah. my record. Yeah, it, well, it sounds great. I mean, so many records come out sounding really, really crappy these days. Yeah, they just get destroyed, destroyed in mastering, and I, you can tell that you selected a really great engineer because it, it really does have a lot of life to it. Man, and when I got those masters that day, I was like <laughs> over the moon. I was like, I mean, cause I put it. You know, I still listen to CDs, and I love vinyl and all that, but CDs sound really good. You know, these converters and your phones and everything like that, like. You're streaming, you've got your hi-fi, whatever, like it doesn't matter. It's still going to come out through this converter in the phone or your computer or whatever. And so a CD, which I'm lucky because I get to listen to CDs all the time because I'm in the studio, we're burning CDs to check a mix or whatever in the car. I mean, it's, it's, 
so high res, you know? Um, but when I, when I got the, the master CD that day and put it in my car, oh my God, it sounded so good. <laughs> uh, I've been tinkering with some recording and the, the drive test is key. The drive test is, is like, oh yeah, that's, it, it's completely different from what I'm hearing sitting here in my, in my studio and I get right. out of the car and I'm like, oh, oh yeah. that's what's wrong. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, the bass is really loud or not loud enough for, yeah, you know. Yeah, the the car is a good test, and then also just like a consumer level like Bluetooth speaker or something, you know, where it's like just pushing everything out in mono. And it's like okay, you'll you'll yeah. know what what some you know something you will know. be very clear as to what's wrong with your recording through that. Well, and that's what it, you know the average person is probably listening to too. So unfortunately, it's it's yeah. all too common these days. Yeah, but um, and I do it sometimes too. So. I've been told that that's Springsteen's test for any mastering engineer. He's like, if I, he's he's like, I'm going to put it on my car. If it doesn't sound right, then you got to you got to do it over. You know, and that can be dangerous if you're Springsteen and you've got like some crazy like whatever DB technique or whatever it is like, you know, system that like most people don't have in their cars. <laughs> right. He's not driving around in my '90s F150. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you got some okay speakers and you've got your EQ flat and great, great reference point. Yeah. So uh, I want to swing back to the record real quick because I, I I made another note and this is on um a bit about again references showing your your influences maybe um tried and true has this guitar line it's one of the first runs in the song that like i totally jumped out at me as sounding like so you want to be a rock and roll star it's not the same it's not but it just completely reminded me of it and i can't shake it when i hear that song Am I completely off base? Is uh, you know? No. The, okay. Once again, mission accomplished. Um, All right. <laughs> yeah. No. That was. I, well, I really wanted to. Um, I've always loved like like cool twelve string like single note descending or ascending lines, yeah. and um, I didn't. Uh, I had that song for years, actually, tried and true, oh, cool. and it's really like my love letter to rock and roll music. Um, you know, it says like, well, I heard, heard you were leaving, leaving the game behind. You were afraid yeah. of fading, you know, fading like the ones in the back of your mind. Um, and so that, but, but the, because we had the riff, down, 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 had the riff going. And uh, the, it was like, ping, I was like a 12 string. It needs yeah. to be a 12 string. It needs to be like the birds. So you want to be a rock and roll exactly. star. But then almost a little bit of like when the Heartbreakers cover the birds. So it was kind of like in, yeah. in between, yep. you know. Um, but yeah, that was a really, really fun line to come up with and then play. And then and that's that's another thing. Like, I just, I love playing my tunes. You know, they're fun. They're fun to play. <laughs> so, like I said, I try to make music that, that I like, you know, first and foremost. And then... Hopefully other people like it. Unfortunately, you ha released this record just as uh, <laughs> the kind of whole pandemic was happening. Um, I know that that's, uh, you know, you guys at the 400 units had touring plans. I was planning on seeing you guys with David Crosby at, at Wolf Trap this summer. So mm. I was pretty disappointed. But um, what, do, do, what else did you have lined up? I mean, and how are you kind of adapting to uh, the, the crazy new times? Well, um, I had about six or seven shows lined up 
for my own record kind of little tour and um and then we had some jason shows in between so obviously all those got got canceled and i couldn't um i couldn't really postpone my shows because i didn't know what my next year would look like you know especially with a 400 unit record coming out so yeah my record came out Two day, uh, three days after we had a bunch of really awful tornadoes in Nashville. Right. <clears throat> oh, right, right. And then, like, it also came out like five days before, you know, the briefing of like, hey, uh, think we're going to have to maybe stay inside for a little while or whatever. You remember that day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, it was an unfortunate time for an album to come out, especially in that little pocket because there was so much national news and there was so much fear and hysteria around the coronavirus that I don't think anybody knew what record came out that week. You know what I mean? Uh, it was just like, I'm going to the grocery store and getting some canned goods because I don't know what's about to go down. Right. Um, you know, and, and I went to the store that day and it was so weird. <laughs> it was like, like when you got there, everything was cool, but then slowly, you know, as 20 minutes or whatever went on, you kind of felt everybody sort of, I'm going to grab an extra pound of ground beef. And, I, you know, you just kind of saw people. <laughs> it was the weirdest. I'll never forget it. By the end of my trip at the grocery store, it was just full on. Like you just saw people running for everything, toilet paper and, you know, just getting everything they could. It was wild. I should have grabbed more toilet paper. <laughs> Likewise. Likewise. I'm so glad that's all settled down a little bit. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, everybody yes. got your pizza? Okay, good. All right. Well, I, you know, I yeah. also noticed, though, um, in the interim, you've released a couple uh, live shows on your band camp, which uh, yes. I want to I recommend those to people to check out. So Thank that, you. Uh, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, the the uh, So the one... Um, the first one I released was a, was like, a, I don't know, maybe a week or two after the lockdown started. And um, I knew we had recorded it because it was, it was my new album release night. And so I was like, well, you know, there was a lot of uh, COVID-19 relief for musicians and stuff. And I saw so many of my peers and friends cancel their shows. And I kind of had like almost a little bit of like, I don't know, what was like survivor guilt or something like that. It was like, oh man, well, at least I got to play a show, you know, for my record. Yeah. At least I got to fire one off, you know, because so many people weren't able to do their tours or whatever. So I put that first show out and uh, we raised about $2,000 from that for COVID-19 relief because I just felt like I was lucky enough to get a show off. Here it is, but this is all going to COVID-19. And and um, and that, that was at time, I mean, we didn't know how long this thing was going to go on. So... It's not a it's not a, a benefit album anymore, but um, I was proud of you know those funds we raised, and I mean that's that's a person or two you know that's rent for somebody. So um, if it, if it was doled out correctly, um, now the new one uh, we just put out uh, last Friday, which was on Bandcamp Friday, and and for those of you who don't know, Bandcamp.com is a great place to buy music and merch from your favorite artists and pretty much everybody's on there these days but the first friday of every month they waive their revenue fees so everything goes to the artists um it's really really great i mean we make you know 
in a day, if we put something out, the money we make from sales is, it takes us like, I don't even know, man, a year and a half or something to make that money on Spotify. So it's a really, really great thing to do if you want to support artists. Um, but the newest show is called Live at the High Watt, and it happened last year. And uh, it was actually multi-track recorded, like unbeknownst to me, <laughs> which is really <laughs> hilarious. And uh, Kane Hogs, Jason's front of house guy, um, got in touch with someone, and they and they had a Jason show. And he said, "Oh yeah, I've also got the Sadler show." And so I was like, "Whoa, awesome!" And uh, and I just thought it was great, like. Thanks for recording without my permission. That was great. <laughs> hey, well, as, as fish fans, we love tapers. Um, yeah, totally. Yes, and, and they're, I was they're so doing glad. it to spread the love. And I'm glad. I'm glad the tape got back to you, so you could put it out there. I know. I was so glad. Yeah. I, I I put in the bio like recorded without permission by Colin Cargo. <laughs> it's, like, it's like really, really funny. And I and seriously, like I I really don't care. And I'm so glad he did. And he multi-tracked it, so I mixed it, and it's like it sounds really, really good. So y'all check that out. It's called Live at the High Watt. Yeah, I I checked that out a little bit today, and uh, I agree. It definitely sounds really good. Um, That that's pretty awesome. So um, let's. uh, So we're talking about this time in COVID um, and kind of getting up to modern events. Um, So last uh, for last week's uh, fish dinner in a movie show, they showed this amazing uh, show from 1994, which uh, included the the version of Stash uh, that it was on a live one and a full performance of Game Henge in the first set. And I'm on Twitter a few days later, and I see this tweet from you where you said, um, you know, 94 fish equals 72 stones. And I was so surprised because I guess I've got these, you know, musical worlds that I love. I've got the jam band and fish and Grateful Dead kind of thing. And then I've got this Nashville thing that we were talking about before. Yeah. And and before this moment, the, the only real crossover was this sort of um, uh, now famous picture of Jason and Trey meeting backstage at uh, Newport uh, a year yeah. or two ago, which kind of blew up the internet for for those of us who are fans of both bands. Um, so surprised to to learn that you were a fan. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, how you kind of got into fish. Some maybe some memorable moments and um, and maybe resolve that it, question is is ninety four fish seventy two <laughs> stones. So when when did you first uh, get into fish? Well, I first got into fish. When, um, I guess I was about 12 years old and we were, uh, my folks were, um, <clears throat> we were all moving from North Myrtle beach to, uh, the Charleston, South Carolina area in search of a better life. And, um, this was probably 1999. And, uh, when we, there was a great radio station in Charleston called 96 wave. And they were just one of those just classic awesome radio stations that they did a big concert called 96 wave fest and it always they always had great bands like cracker and i mean shit maybe fish did one one time um but uh they would play fish on the radio cool and so we heard fish on the radio um i mean right when we got to town we didn't even have a house we were living in like an in-town suites you know what i mean like did didn't know where we were going and uh I'd made my dad take me to the mall to get a fish CD. And the first one I got was a live one. And, nice. uh, yeah. And, um, I remember taking it to my aunt's house, um, who lived there and we were, we were, uh, 
sitting around. I guess I was like 13 at this point. And uh, we were listening to a live one, and my dad was like laying on the floor, just just vibing to fish because because fish was new to him. I mean, he you know my mom was into the dead. My dad, of course, my dad saw the live at Watkins Glen show, which was All My Brothers Grateful Dead, the band. Oh wow, nice. Um, he was there, and uh, you know, so I mean, he 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 knew what fish was about by listening to him. He's like, okay, it's like the dead, but it's like kind of something entirely different as well. Um, and uh, he just thought Trey was like the guitar playing was just so incredible too, which it is. And uh, we were sitting there, you know, and I had, I had started partaking in in the pot, you know, early age. I had older <laughs> friends, you know, and so, uh, you know, and, and I was like, man, this this is like music. I said this to my dad. I was like, man, this is like music you would listen to when when like you'd like smoke pot or something. And my dad went. <laughs> You want to smoke some pot? <laughs> and just great. completely blew my mind. And like we, <laughs> he like went and like rolled one up and we went and drove around and he let me like hit it like once or twice. And, and uh, I had a really cool dad. He was awesome. And um, I got really paranoid and freaked out. I thought we were lost. You know, this is, these are the days before iPhones for all you kids listening out there, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> but but if you were of a certain era like my dad was, you just knew how to get around. You just drive around. It's yeah. something they in this internal atlas or whatever they had. It's like you just drive around. Anyway, so that was um with all that to say, that was like when I got in the fish was when I moved to to Charleston and then it became like I I you know, found all these other things I love like Oasis and and the Beatles and I got really heavily into the Beatles as much as I was in the Fish. So it was literally like Fish and the Beatles was all I cared about when I was fifteen. Pretty good, solid set that should keep you busy for a while, right? <laughs> well, and if you, yeah. and, and some people go, oh, that's an odd pairing of bands to be into at the same time, and I and I didn't really see it that way because the composing the composition of both bands for one. Very cool. Um, the avant-garde element of the things that they did. I mean, if you think Revolution Number no. Nine, then you think like Vocal Jam. I mean, what's you know? <laughs> there's a lot of similarities there. And then you think of just like, um, you know, following their own like path. You know, four guys. You know, came yeah. out of college. The Beatles. You know, I'm I'm not comparing Fish to the Beatles, but I'm saying it it makes sense as to why I was really into both things. I felt like I got such a great training in in uh, just music by listening to to both of those bands as much as I did. Yeah, I was going to ask in your in terms of your guitar playing. Uh, you know, you were kind of starting out as a guitar player at that point. Um, did did you kind of get anything out of Trey's playing that you tried to kind of you know adapt into your own style? Oh, I mean. Definitely, like, like he's he's definitely um, influenced me, you know, a lot. And I think just really in terms of like when I learned to improvise and listening to Fish, listening to the Almond Brothers, you know, finding different notes to start on, you know, or notes to hang around on for a while, and then also the solo in a chord progression. You know, if you think of like heavy things, you know, da da da, da 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 da. You know, I mean, he's just playing. He's going through the chords. You know, he's landing on the the 
the root note of the four chord. He's then he's landing back into the major third, you know, or what? Or he's he's landing on the the root of the four chord and then the major third of the one chord and things like that. It's like really, just that's great training for someone like me who's so into the guitar and really like soloing a lot to listen to him and see where he's going to go. And also just to these different chords and stuff. I mean, when you listen to you enjoy myself or, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, this, that's some advanced stuff, you know, especially to try to learn when you're oh, like yeah. 16. Yeah. It's some pretty high level stuff. I, I've never even begun like <laughs> heavy things I, is, is, is as close yeah, to like a right. fish song as I'm going to learn to play. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I, I I think I did learn You Enjoy Myself for a minute, but I, I didn't retain much of it <laughs> like all yeah. these years later, you know, because I'm not playing it all the time, you know, but um, Divided Sky was like another another one that just, you know, mind, mind blowing. Yeah. Well, I mean, even Fish, if they didn't, when they didn't play You Enjoy Myself on the regular, they forgot it too. So, right. <laughs> Yeah, that's why they have a rehearsal room. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, did, when did you, I, I'm assuming you've seen them, when did you first see them? This is really funny because I've, I've only gotten to see them one time. And they, they like split, like when was a, um, well, I was at the first three Bonnaroo's and the first Bonnaroo Trey played. And they were like a hiatus or something at that yeah, point. Yeah, that was their that was their first hiatus. Matt, Matt can sympathize with yeah. you on this. He suffered it was from a hiatus. It was a bummer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I remember Trey playing Bonnaroo. It was the last night of Bonnaroo, and I don't know. I guess I was sixteen or seventeen, but we we're standing out there, and Trey's playing bathtub gin, and he's doing like the the whistling you know part or whatever, and uh, everybody was like fish is going they're they're going to come out fish is here they're going to come out <laughs> and everybody it was like you know we're all in the back going oh dude they're about to come out like it's about to <laughs> no they weren't coming out they weren't coming out they yep. never came out yep. um but my first time seeing fish was actually in Greensboro North Carolina March 1st 2003 and it was my sister's oh, birthday show. and like um, unbelievable show I got it somewhere offline and had the burn CDs riding around in my CD binder forever. They were like Circuit City CDs, so they were really shitty. Circuit <laughs> shitty. And, uh, yeah, we used to call it that too. Yeah. And uh, so since the shit is like peeled off or whatever, but, oh, there's an app called Live Fish that you <laughs> can yeah. get. And uh, actually a few months ago, I found the show and... Um, it is now my knowledge that like this is actually a very like like a popular fish show. It's, among it's fans. a very good one. I was at that show very myself. Good show. You was, were? Uh, that was yeah. It was that was a great great time. Great show. Pretty the, weird. It was fun. The set lit. I mean, the energy in that room was just and I, and you've seen a lot of fish shows, so I'm I'm sure you know you know what that's all about. But they came out, you know, swinging with chalk dust torture and just, it's like oh my god and they played rock and roll by velvet underground that night um they played you enjoy myself they i mean it was a it was a monster set list proud mary out of the vocal jam yeah no. <laughs> they played divided sky i'm like i pulled the set up here moma dance foam 
Lawn Boy, Character Zero, Divided Sky, Mountains in the Mist, Waves, Sample in a Jar, Rock and Roll, Wilson, Piper, 2001, Wolfman's Brother, Boogie on Reggae Woman, Waiting in the Velvet Sea, Run Like an Antelope, Carolina, First Tube, You Enjoy Myself, and Proud Mary. I mean, yeah, that's a good first fish show. Uh, I was just gonna say they were they were playing great that week. I actually saw my first show a couple nights before then in Philly uh, on that that same tour. Um, but that last week of that tour, they that Philly show they played at uh, Nassau Coliseum and what's a, a pretty legendary show uh, the night before Greensboro. So um, yeah, you definitely caught them at, at a good time when uh, when they came back from that hi- hiatus. Now I'm wondering, was was, was this? Um, wow. Let's see what album was it was not an album would it have been uh um, round round room. Room. i was about to say round room the most yeah recent one. yeah yeah round room yeah that's right which is an uh, underrated record i'm going to just say it again <laughs> no it is yeah yeah it's yeah it is i mean i was um so i haven't had the the chance you know because what happened i went through a lot of life stuff you know, the next year. And I ended up starting to work uh, professionally as a musician. And so that's the thing about musicians. Like you're on the tour, you're, you're on a tour. Yep. Yeah. You know? And so um, I was actually planning to see fish like some, sometime soon, like at the beginning of the year, I was like, man, really need to like go. And we were going to play with Trey. We had a show booked with Trey uh, up in New York. That, that, uh, oh, that's right. I was really that's bummed right. that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> I was really bummed. Because <laughs> I was like going to hope to like maybe, you know, say what's up to him and all that stuff. He seems like a, seems like a good dude. And I, th- I think he's, I think Jason and the band is kind of on his radar and stuff too. So I think that's correct. So, uh, you know, I bet that'll happen. I bet that'll. Yeah, I think so. 2021 is, 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 is ahead of us. So who knows? Who's yeah, man. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, that that was my that was my first fish concert, first and last fish concert. So you know, back to the the tweet that uh, <laughs> that started off the whole conversation. Um, obviously, you're you're a fish fan, and I'm guessing you're a Stones fan. So is is it safe to say that you're uh, a, a big fan of of '94 fish, or was this just kind of like a reaction to have watched having watched that uh, that show last week? Well, yeah, it was uh, it was yes, it was a bit of a reaction. I I, I uh, you know. Um, got it, got it dialed up, and I was watching it, and I was just like, "Going, God, what a what a zone they were in in that year, you know." And I was like eight years old. I didn't know what was going on in 1994, you know. Um, but the next day, uh, there's a guy named Stephen Hyden who's a big fish fan. He's on Twitter. He's a rock journalist. Author, yeah, we know Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, he he said something about you know he wished he had seen Fish Nine Four. Anyway, I guess what I was really getting at was I feel like they were sort of you know almost they were tapped into something like kind of like just dirty and raw in that year ninety four. You know, and I think that's what 72 stones are, you know, and there were so many people that took, I was, they were like, you're comparing fish to the stones. You know, all these people got so like mad stuff. I'm like, I'm actually not, (laughs) that's not actually what I'm saying. (laughs) You're not really like reading into this. I did see him play Love and Cup that year though. So 
There you go. I was just saying like 72 stones was such like a magical year of the stones. And I think that was like what post-exile toward the, you know what I mean? Like that's ladies and gentlemen, the Rolling Stones, Yeah, you know, yeah. that, that movie yeah. and everything. Yeah. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. I just think like there's, there's a lot of like similarities, like in just, you know, where fish was at that time to where the stones were. It doesn't mean that it was the best stones tour or that was the best fish year. But I think, I think there was yeah. just something when you see a band that's got a lot of fight in them, you know, yeah. and they're just, yeah. you know, nothing's too clean, you know, they're mm. not too big. So that's kind of what yeah. I meant by that. But, yeah. but yeah. nothing's too clean, but they, you know, it seems like everything just kind of fits together anyways. You yeah. Know, fish, Trey, I think Matt, somebody I talked to during the show or said, you know, Trey's, you know, even when he flubs, he just flies right by it. And it's just every, uh, it seemed like something Matt would say, but it wasn't, maybe it wasn't you, Matt. But, uh, uh, you know, even, even when he did make a mistake in one of the, you know, composed runs, he just would fly right by it and you wouldn't even feel it. Like different years, you might, you would hear that and you go, ah, oh, you know, right. but, you know, he, they just, it couldn't stop the, the strength of the work they were doing up there. It really just, and the stones and, uh, in 72 i mean the same kind of thing very different music uh, completely no comparison musically but they were just a band right. that you just couldn't fuck with yeah i think there was just like you know not saying it was like their peak but it was just like that time that was really remembered and i feel like that's kind of like like nine fish in 94 you know seemingly yeah. is kind of that year which is like stones in 72 i mean yeah, yeah. so that i've I feel like I was right on the money. <laughs> Some people didn't. Some people did not feel that way. And then I got a lot of love though too. I got a lot of people like, it's, "Oh my god, I love you even more now." You know, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, that's that's how, why we're all talking. That's why right we're now. talking. Like, yeah. Oh, this is great. This, but I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, in terms of bands, just you know, recklessly swinging for the fences. Um, I, I think it's a good comparison. I think fish. It was an energy thing. That's what I was yes, trying to get yeah. at. It's, it's not, people think, take things so literally. I'm just saying like, just, you know, I, I didn't want to like explain it too much. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I mean, I knew once I fired that out there, I was like, yeah, this is. Yeah, you just leave gonna, that to the book writers and you know, just send yeah, the tweet. And yeah, let, yeah, let, yeah. Let it fall where they lay. Plus I love like yeah. just rock and roll Twitter. You know, like my like it's so politically charged, and I'm I'm glad it is. And you know, just just get your ass to the polls and vote. You know, at the end of the day, just just do that. You know, um, yeah. and uh, you know, but but I was like, I really love rock and roll Twitter, is what I call it. Like I I love like starting conversations about like I think I had a conversation about uh, um, I was saying what band spawned the most like successful solo careers. And I, and one day I was really thinking about it. I was like, I mean, Genesis might be that band because Phil Collins, I mean, he sold like 150 million records or something, you know? And yeah. I'm like, who else the, really? Mike and the Mechanics. Let's just not, let's Mike not leave them behind. And Peter Gabriel. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So you got those three things that, you know, Sales from Peter Gabriel and Mike and the Mechanics probably pale in comparison to what Phil Collins sold, but <laughs> still sold like millions of records. Probably you couldn't say that about like Don Henley and Glenn Fry on their solo records. Yeah. Or, I mean, are we calling Jackson Five a band? 
I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a mm. pop that's act a, with a backing that's band. That's New Kids on the Block in a different era and a different neighborhood. In a different era. So, yeah, so I I disqualify them. You know, yeah. I disqualify them. That's so, funny. But that's the kind of yeah. like stuff I like to uh, try to talk about on Twitter. Yeah. You know, but it's funny you mentioned that uh, today because uh, one of our uh, fellow podcasts on the Osiris Network, Beyond the Pond, which is also a kind of a fish related show, uh, I did a collaboration episode with those guys about Genesis um, because they were actually a pretty big influence on Trey and mm-hmm. Tom Marshall uh, early on in some kind of the sound and some of the songwriting. Um, so they're they're the, those guys have kind of entered the the Twitter zeitgeist uh, this week as as well. In oh terms wow! Of what people are talking about yeah. Yep, pretty timely. But in any event, well, I hope you get to see fish. Uh, you know, when things get back to normal uh, eventually, and uh, I do recommend it. They're still a, an amazing band. That's why we go to see them all the time, and uh, why we have a podcast to talk about them. Because after all these years, they're doing great things. I love it, and I love it. You know, I, I just recently watched Bittersweet Motel too. Uh, it's so and, fun. Uh, you know, I had it on um, VHS. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where it is at this point, <laughs> but um, it was on YouTube and I, I watched okay. it. Yeah, and I watched it. And uh, I just love that part where Trey's like, um, you know, we're having like the best tour of our lives and nobody, nobody's paying attention. You know, Rolling yeah. Stone, nobody. <laughs> and I'm like, that is, you know, it's just, it's so cool to me that they just never played by anybody's rules that, you know, they were just always chasing that muse, the music. Even the part where they're at uh, was it the Great Went <clears throat> in the movie, and they and and uh, they take like a break. It was like not even planned, but they just like take a break and walk off the stage, you know. And you see them being like, "Well, that's how that's how it appeared in the movie. Who knows?" But um, you, you know, you see Trey like, "Ah, I don't know. I don't know what was going on up there." It's like we just weren't like feeling it you know and i'm like that's awesome like they're not gonna put their crowd through like some if they're not feeling it you know <laughs> they're literally leaving the stage going we gotta we gotta get this we gotta get this dialed in before we play another yeah. note you know yeah. so that's that's really cool about that band to me so i have so much respect for them and and uh everything i've seen like just recent tours i mean they sound wonderful so i really can't wait to to uh go see them again so obviously we want people to go and buy your, your stuff on Bandcamp, um, you know, ideally on one of the Bandcamp Fridays. So, uh, you get the, the biggest share possible. Um, anything that else that you're working on in, in the pandemic times that, uh, people can look forward to from you? Well, I've got a new song called best days that comes out September 9th. Um, okay, so cool. that'll be on Bandcamp and it'll be on all the streaming services and stuff like that. And then um, I do a bit of producing, which I'm really getting into. Okay. And I just oh, cool. finished a record uh, for a girl named Morgan Wade. <clears throat> and then I've got a guy coming down next week. That we're going to make a record and, and uh, wearing our mask and socially distant, of course. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I've just been working on working on that. My wife and I are expecting a baby boy in October. So oh, congratulations. gearing up for that. Thank you. And it's kind of a... You know, it's it's sort of a bitter, bittersweet. Like I'm really glad to be home to go through all that with her and not be on the road and have to worry about yeah. catching a flight from Amsterdam or something. Uh, you know, right? But uh, 
but uh, you know the the reason we're off the road sucks but it's it's been it has been nice in some ways to uh you know spend time with my uh with my wife at home and and uh you know get ready for get ready for this this baby so yeah, yeah. we're excited that's great well congratulations it's, thank you you're right it's bittersweet I've, I've got a I have a five-year-old daughter and um you know things are, are stressful but I I do try to remember that in no other you know, situation would I ever have this kind of time that's to right. spend with her? Um, that's right. So we had yeah. got to take stock stock of what we've got here. Trying to keep yeah. the same thing sure. in mind around here while the kids tear the place apart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so both of you guys have kids. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Yep. So well, I'm entering the zone. Dad zone's coming soon. Dadler. Dadler Vaden. Hey man, it's it's a it's it's a great great thing, and I I I think you'll probably love it as as I know Jonathan and I both. Do. Yeah, I know I will. Yeah, congratulations again, and thank, uh, you, thank yeah. you for taking the time to talk to us. Oh man, thanks for having me. Yeah, this, this was a lot. Awesome, yeah, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys having me on. Cool. Great. Thanks so much. And I knew it true by the look in your eyes You'll forever be Hey, this is Chris Santos, host of Delirious Nomads, the Blacklight Media Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Delirious Nomads is a podcast about all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports. And me being a chef and all, we'll be riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.